0: family and friends of slain rapper Nipsey Hussle gathered outside Forest Lawn Hollywood Hills before driving together to say their final goodbyes as he is laid to rest. Nipsey Hussle's father Dawit Azgadom graciously talked exclusively with Fox 11 before leaving for his son's gravesite.
1: site. Always as a father, you know, I wish my son was still here with me, but also he's not died in vain. Uh, people recognize what he was trying to do. And what you have accomplished at a younger age, in only thirty three. It was quite the outpouring of support and love for your son yesterday. How did you feel about? I mean, I have no word. Uh, I mean, to explain it, how uh, great, how uh, uh, they gave him a love from uh, Staples Center, starting from the marathon, the whole week, and then again at the, uh, the Staples Center, mm-hmm. and then from there when we. Marches through the streets. That uh, uh, it was incredible. It was incredible. People. We never know that the people, how much they appreciate it and how much they want to hear that. At the same time, you can tell that how the world is hungry for peace. The whole world, you know, against the violence. Our politicians are, you know, until we elect them, they say we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Once they get into office, they don't do the public work. Mm-hmm. So the people is frustrated, so they can hear from their own doing something in the community and uh, they recognize that. That's, that's why how we see the whole world are gathered because they, they have been hungry for this kind of peace, for this kind of uh, indeed, you know. So maybe the politician in the world will learn some from here what is the public is looking for. Never imagine it how much people they love him, the support they give him. Uh, I mean, there is no word to explain. And then we appreciate the love they gave to him. And uh, we're going to follow his, uh, his his legend and his, uh, whatever he wants to uh, accomplish. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. His, uh, whatever he wants to uh, accomplish, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to put him in peace now. We're going to rest in peace. He
0: said in there shall be signs of the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. I think she's a liar and I think she deserves mockery. There was something about when I put this hat on, it made me feel like Superman. Black lives are very important. White lives are very important. And to me, all lives are very important. Very, very important. Damn! This is
2: Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins faith that has been labeled profane nonconformist and or out there we'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred secular and profane find god i'm your host your boy daniel white hodge hey hey folks how y'all doing out there in podcast land oh mercy me well, sorry for the late post. I know some of you uh, out there were probably thinking, "Oh man, you know, my my uh, my my profane faith fix didn't show up in my timeline or in my feed uh, right out, right at midnight <laughs> on Saturday." Um, but uh, you know, uh, brother had uh, well. Honestly, I was hanging out with my daughter all day yesterday. My wife's out of town uh, for work and. You know, just got caught up with that. And by the time I sat down to record, I was brother was just tired. I was just like, man, I, I, I like to sit and record when I actually have the space to do it and the mind space to do it. And I was just like, man, it's just too tired. So here we are. But it's come, it's out, it's out. You know, we start promoting uh, episodes, or I start promoting episodes uh, on on Monday of, of of every week. So I usually use Sunday as a time to to make sure links are working in case there's ever a problem with the RSS feed and all that good stuff, because, you know, you never know, uh, every now and then the, you know, technical gods are, are out there and, uh, they, uh, they don't get, you know, they don't get their homage or they don't get their sacrifice. So things mess up. So, you know, <laughs> how that goes. Um, but if you, uh, you following anything, you know, that here in Chicago today, we, uh, we have. We have some snow Then <laughs> there right now, as I as I record this, if you're listening to this again in real time, um, as I record this, there's about three inches of snow outside and, it, and it's still coming down. It's been coming down for the last five hours. <laughs> so it's a real heavy stuff. Uh, it's a late season type snow. But nevertheless, um, I don't care what y'all say. I'm not shoveling. I put my, I, I put my shovels and salt and all that stuff up away about three weeks ago. Um, I've been working on my yard. You know, a brother does that to, to ward off. uh, Anxiety and anger and frustration and stuff, man. So I've been working out there, working on my yard, get good to get a good sweat going, and get that hands in the dirt. Um, But I'm I am not, (laughs) I am not going to shovel. No. Uh, So I don't care what you say. (laughs) Well, you figured this out. um, This is good. uh, This episode here. Yeah, a little bit different I've been wanting to do something with Nipsey Hussle um, And A tribute to him His funeral was here this last week And um, Just uh, an amazing guy There's a couple of strains Of thought here As it relates to Nipsey As it relates to understanding Well as it relates to, to Understanding Hip hop culture Black life black entrepreneurship, uh, black wealth. Um, so yes, let me get out what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, is that on one end, Nipsey presented a great blueprint as a friend of mine, uh, mentioned, um, about, you know, black entrepreneurship, black ownership on the second side of it, there's, there is this loss of hope. I've, I've made the, Or Not a complete loss of hope But there's a sense that Okay, this cat Was doing all these great things Right? He had opened up a business He had created merchandise He was popular, people knew him uh, He had a vision for creating uh, He had a vision for creating Wealth And not just Not just the kind that Benefits him okay and 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 one that benefited the community and you know that's rare to find particularly and you know in a, in a lot of artists i'm sure people give back and because of taxes and the way our tax codes are set up you know anyone who makes you know a lot of money has to quote unquote give back um you have to have set up some foundation or some non-profit uh, if you're smart you know that money makes its way back into your pocket uh, but uh this wasn't this wasn't Nipsey. So in that sense, this connects with a this connects with the sense that what is black black wealth look like? What what does it mean to be black in this country? Because for a large part it feels like you know our our progress has been limited and stifled. Uh, on so many levels and on so many in so many realms that you begin to wonder at least i begin to wonder is you know is this just you know it is is it the type of thing that when you finally get to a space where you're cognizant okay well here tell you what it goes back to that um it goes back to the video. Uh, oh man, I'm struggling now. Uh, what's, this, what's this? I did a whole episode on it. Uh, 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 welcome to America. Well, not Welcome to America. That's uh, that's Lecrae. Uh, but this is America, right? Um, and it's that video where, right? He's he he finally realizes at the end what's going on, and he's trying to bust himself out. Rather than trying to do these these things for himself. Uh, and by the time he realizes it, it is, it's, it's too late, right? The crowd is chasing him. They're trying to take him out. And that's what I feel like oftentimes with black wealth and black success. Not individuals. There's plenty of individualized black success, black entrepreneurs. You know, there's plenty of folks out there who buy into the kind of the American dream ethos and the mantra that says, you know, we can all succeed. Uh, most of those black folks have had to do a lot of shaving off of their blackness. Um, and I know I'm kind of being kind of judgy right right there with that, uh, but there are certain studies that would also support that as well. What, you know, what? and I'm not, and also I'm not saying that there has to be one brand of blackness, but are you a va- are you at all given the space to be yourself, who you are as an individual, identifying with your blackness, right? Because that's my first red flag. When somebody says, oh, I'm I'm just a human. I'm not really black. That's my first red flag. You know, when they start talking about, you know, really downplaying their ethnicity. Because as black folk, we always either have to be cheery, right? In an, organiz- an all-white organization, we have to be this kind of, you know, you can't be upset. You can't be, if you are, you're upset or you're angry, it's like people are like, whoa, what's going on? Are you like, you know, angry? Are you, is something wrong with you? You know, it's like when I've brought up certain things and been, you know, just have a little bit of heat, right? Just a little bit of anger. Folks are always just, are you okay? Are you, are you okay? Are you fine? So it's, it's the, it's, there's all these different levels, right? And so it's like, right? And then those are always my first flags. Like, if you're not allowed to just be black, if you're not allowed to be, to, to exist, or you're denying that, it, that already sends me a red flag. It lets me know. Um, or it, it sends the message, though, that, you know, you've had to become something and you've had to deny it for so long that you've in turn begun to identify then with it, right? Actually, like when O.J. Simpson first got on trial, right? Or But, but actually, prior to him getting on trial, uh, you know, people would... Uh, you know ask him like man you know about race and he's like i'm not black i'm oj <laughs> right but as soon as he did get arrested and it was like facing it it was like oh you know black this and black that and all that you know y'all know the, the story right johnny cochran goes in and changes all the pictures on his wall that was with white folks and then they he puts pictures up that you know of black folks and everything on the wall. so when the jury goes and and visits them man i mean this you know this is the type of denial right because When black success happens in this country, and then it's in turn, given back to the black community to organize to create a sense of, of of ability of mobilizing the leader, the leaders, the the situation has been taken out. Okay, I just want us to kind of think on that a little bit here. And that's a little depressing when you think about it. It's a little unnerving that we still live in a society like that. It's a little um, discomforting. Because it feels like you can get all the wealth you want for yourself. But the minute you begin to give that away, minute you begin to. And it, here's the thing. I know there's people saying already, probably some people say, yeah, but what about Oprah does this? And she gives away this. And, you know, you got somebody like um, uh, Tyler Perry, you know, he does this. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. I'm talking about to mobilize and to actually build and to make it black only now yeah, I, I get it. You know, Tyler Perry does have most most black folk on his staff, but Tyler's making movies, okay? So he's still within that realm of Hollywood. Nipsey's talking about actually helping gang members get up out the game to unite the Bloods and Crips. There's been momentous occasions in the history of gangs where they have united. After the Watts uprisings, they united, right? After the L.A. uh, uprisings, they, they, in 92, they united. um, But each time they have been met with a deafening silence from city officials. Right? After all the smack that city officials talk and after all the mess that they say um, about gangs and about how they're, you know, uh, they're bad and they need to do better for the communities here. Here they are organized. And I was a part of this thing back in 93. I was a part of, 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 helping folks get organized and helping folks figure a way out of that life. And, but after a while with no infrastructure, with no actual assets, with no connection to, um, uh, uh, a- actual jobs, because that's ultimately what it means in this capitalistic society, you know people go back to doing what they're gonna do so nipsey again presented a sense of a way out that could help and provide a sustainability for the black community and not really just the black community black and brown community um and so you know i i stand to be challenged you know where does it exist that there is something that's all black, that is supporting nothing but black folk, helping them come together. I always say, you know, there, there could there, you know, if there was a black militia that was that was perceived as growing, um, in the U.S., it would be taken out. Now, I get that there are different bands of people that are out there, and there are different uh, groups of folks that are out there doing, you know, having their organizations and whatnot. But at, at current, they're on a, they're on, you know, they're just on a basic local level. Um, what Nipsey was talking about was bigger. This is the same thing that Tupac was talking about was bigger, not just local. Yes, keep it local. Yes, develop the community, but let's let's actually develop this thing so that we can actually be benefited. That we can actually grow. That we can actually provide jobs. The solutions to 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 gang problems um, are complex and easy at the same time. Let me explain what i mean by that is is that much of the hustle that's been going on for gang members right is about money turf turf which is about money all right uh uh, territory which is still about money right who's going to be selling what and doing what in that community um are you able to represent you you know who you are and are you able to to uh to to establish your gang, you know, in that sense, but it comes back down to job. Not again. I, it, that's it's much it's more much complicated. You're dealing with PTSD. You're dealing with networks and systems and whatnot. You're also dealing with conditioning. You got you know fourth and fifth generation uh, families that are involved in the gang. So th- there is that complexity, but it still comes back down to jobs in '93. We were promised over 150. I think it was like 200,000 jobs. You know, in the, you know, in the riot zone. You know, where they were going to provide this work. And I'm not just talking about a McDonald's 4:25. And I like we, I'm talking about like jobs. Like I can get in this job, I can go work uh, and make a career. Right? This is what was going on in the late 50s, and the late 60s or early 60s uh, with the black community. We could still go and work a blue collar job, and and be able to afford a house, be able to afford a a decent life. Be able to afford um, aspects of of life, right? That was perceived to be the American dream, right? And when people are, and then, then you got the second wave of it, right? You got people if 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 the infrastructure is there, if the the positioning is there to to be able to create a sense of family, a sense of that. Man, I've interviewed so many gang members who said, man, they that's that's part of what they want. They just want, they want peace, they want, right? They don't want necessarily want to be doing this. And it's not just about the gangs, right? It's about impoverished communities. You don't even have to be in a gang to be poor, all right? So I don't want to equate gangs and poor, right? You, uh, uh, impoverished communities, those cats don't want to be living that way. Who wants to be living without health insurance in this society, right? No one decides to just do that because they want to. It's because they're forced to do that or they don't have the money to do that, right? And so as I'm breaking all these things down, I know it may sound like a little bit of a rambling and and there is, But uh, again, Nipsey, that's that's the second strain of this is right. Cause it's kind of a a, 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 a jarring understanding of, of what black success looks like, particularly when that black success begins to organize and create structures and systems in such a way that actually speak to and for black people. And I believe that's what Nipsey was was trying to get at. And that's what Tupac was trying to get at. All right as part of what Martin Luther King was trying to develop. If you read his stuff closely, it wasn't just, I have a dream that everybody gonna hold hands and love each other and, and that'll be that. No, he's talking about actual development. If you go to uh, King's childhood home out in Atlanta, or you go to his, you know, they had that entire systems, a whole network there of apartments, of housing, uh, that was bought for us by us. So, that's powerful, and I believe that type of power threatens white folks. It, te- te- it threatens. Let me just take the, take it from white folks to white supremacy. Okay, it, it threatens white supremacy, and it and it, and it creates a um, it creates a sense of fear within white supremacy. Um, you know about blackness I truly believe black is one of the most hated and despised now this doesn't inc- I mean this black and when I mean black I want to encompass you know my 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 pan-African uh, uh, folks as well my pan-African family I mean, it's not just um, you know it's not just uh, you know just African Americans and I also want to include uh, uh, Native Americans as well who have been raped of this land as well um, so, you know, I, these are the things I wrestle with y'all. These are the things that I think about. I think about how these things fit into, you know, our current day and age. And so, um, I, again, I, I am thankful for what Nipsey did. I, I wish when I lived in LA, I could have gotten, a, a, in contact with that brother, uh, a little bit closer and whatnot. Although it seems like my, our timing probably would have timed up with the same, uh, the same space that I think he was—he, you know, he had to end up fighting a case or something like that and whatnot. Um, but I have some interviews here of of a brother, brother Nipsey, and just his understanding and uh, way of life, particularly as it pertained to um, what it meant to be a hip hop artist. Check this out.
3: People that look like me, yeah, I'm supposed to be in jail or dead. It's a whole prison complex. You know what I'm saying? Then you think about as an artist. There's a business model that exists in the music industry to prevent you from having ownership, to prevent you from being a partner in the lion's share of the profit. And dirty money get washed on royalty statements. Black owners in this game are powerful races. The value is created in content. So when I think of us as hip hop artists, we create content, but we don't have a wide product line. You go to Disneyland, they got tons of products, ears and Disney, Mickey, everything. And so that's that's the vision behind the Marathon store. It was more natural and it it resonated at a higher frequency to put it on Crenshaw and Slauson just because of the significance of that corner. I've been hustling on that corner since I was 15. We all started right there. We popped the trunk and was was grinding on that corner from kids, from teenagers. Love. Had to fight before we hustled, and it made us tough. Early 90s, neighbors' rooster used to wake us up. Mama had a bucket and a shack, but we ain't make a fuss. You know, I was curious and passionate early about just creativity and, and you know, being productive. And out of frustration, I, I, I fell into the streets. Look, my nigga, this is dedication, this is anti-hesitation, it's a real nigga celebration, it's a dying black Tupac of my generation, young black nigga trapped and he can't change it. Know he a genius, he just can't claim it, because they left him no platforms to explain it. He frustrated, so he get faded, but deep down inside, he know you can't fade him. And I've had that thought myself, and I'm sure these young people coming up, trying to put two and two together deal with that, you know, so that was just an honest reflection on my mentality before I was, I was embraced by music and, you know, I got recognized and started to make money off of my art. When I said Tupac in my generation, Pac was highly intelligent, but in our culture, street culture, especially his generation, intelligence was viewed as a form of weakness. How do you get the people that's really affected by, you know, what we're trying to solve? involved, and I think Pac's intention was to do that. We don't got no no, no means to go get it, you know what I mean? Other than our little pistols and handguns, we got and choppers and all that. These niggas got millions of dollars, institutions set up, but that's the culture of where we come from. We all conscious of each other's movements on the West, and um, what was dope about Kendrick's success to me is that he became such a commercial success, but never really made commercial product. Nothing like you fucking rap niggas. Hustle man, a shooter, that's a fact, nigga. 32 extendos in my Mac nigga. It became consumable on the highest level. I always respect when people find that balance. When they, when they just make such a concentrated art that it's undeniable. We could be intentional and strategic as we, as we wanna be, but at the end of the day, we all are moved by next level art. And even you look at the albums that really sold 10 million, you look at Miss Education and Lauryn Hill, look at like Tracy Chapman, even Adele, you listen to Adele and you like, you don't have to be a fan of no genre. This is just powerful words, incredible music, sincere delivery. And I think that was my goal with Victory Lab is to just deliver on that level, not onto the parameters of a genre. Just to say, you know, this is really feeling. This is really some truth. I believe that's the most effective approach to be successful.
2: So part of the core tenets and mores of uh, hip-hop culture is uh, consciousness. Right. Being aware, being uh, uh, connected to who you are, uh, that also in consciousness of just uh, uh, of of not just yourself, but also, you know, your surroundings, Uh, because there's self-awareness. This is this ties back into uh, emotional intelligence, which uh, I believe the culture really helps to promote. And this is not necessarily in, in, in commercialized rap, which is what made Nipsey, I think, so unique. Right. He was both independent, but also signed to a major label. Um, but there was that self-awareness that went into him um, There's a sense of community. Um, there's a sense of, you know, being amongst a, a, a fam uh, in, in certain ways. There's a sense of spirituality. We know that. Right. Uh, I've, I've talked a lot about that in, in different books and, and on this podcast here. Um, there's a sense of unity. Okay, Even though we may disagree, there's a sense that uh, there is some unity that we're going to stick together, that we're going to come together. Um, this is part of what Tupac had, I believe, uh, at the core of, who, of what he was trying to do. Wasn't always perfect with that, right? I already know people say, hey, what about hit him up, man? Stuff with Biggie and everything. Right, I get that. I get that. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? You, We cannot ignore that. Um, that, is, that is a... a an artifact of, of being human. We all, we all have those aspects of us. I don't like people talking about me You know, if I have beef with somebody, it's like, you know, um, I could get out of hand with that. And I think Pac was out of hand with that at, at, at a certain level, but at the core, it was about unity. It was about bringing the community together. Uh, and then the last part of those tenets is of love of God of self. Right? So we love God. We love ourselves. And we're trying to move forward in these. So consciousness, self-awareness, community, spirituality, unity, and the love of God and self; these are these are core tenets. It's part of what I measure hip hop artists by. Um, are you doing you know this? Are you actually living up to this? Or are you just talking foolishness? Nipsey had all kind of stuff to say about you know um, the uh, the game and where it's currently at. Um, but uh, you know this, uh, I, I I believe that. I believe that the commercialization of hip hop ties back into what I was saying at the beginning, right? Uh, it was a culture that was growing very big, um, at the time when things shifted late nineties, early two thousands, um, you know, it was on the heels of Biggie and Pac's death. And there were a lot of independent labels. There were a lot of independent folks who were able to, 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 to see just beyond, um, what was in front of them and they were like, Let me, you know, let's build distri- distribution, let's have our own distribution plants, let's have our own networks, let's have our own alliances so that we can begin to do and say what we want to and not be held back by white supremacy. And again, that is a concept that is threatening, of course, to white supremacy. Um, And so whether you believe the rumors or not about Nipsey being killed and conspiracy, I I tend to lean towards understanding those and and believing parts of those. I don't necessarily think it's completely. But at the same time, if you're black, let me explain something, particularly for my white listeners. If you black and living in an impoverished neighborhood, it's you cannot believe what the mainstream says, because they, they lie consistently. We know the police lie. We know that city officials lie. So, why would we believe them when they say this over here is supposed to be green? And you're like, no, it's red. Nah, it's green. And in fact, we're gonna write a book about it being green. And here, we got some facts to back it up that it's really green. And you're like, no, 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 it's really red. So, it's difficult for me to believe that, that, that Nipsey was, this was just a harmless, you know, just oh I'm just going to, you're not harmless, but my point is, is that, you know, it this was just a, some, some angry gang member that wanted to take him out and then, you know, got his, sought his revenge. I don't know if I can believe that <laughs> straight up, man. I don't know. Um, So, yeah, yeah, some interesting things. But anyways, back to the roots of hip hop um, and, you know, where um, our society in and whatnot is. um, I don't want to get too preachy. I think uh, when you think about the post civil rights generation, uh, this is a generation raised in the ruins of the Reagan crack cocaine era. Uh, this is a generation that was raised in the womb of media culture. This was in the, the rise. When you think about those, particularly between the ages of 18 and 28, uh, born uh, in the late 90s. And, and, and uh, you know, they were raised uh, in an era that saw the rise of social media. I mean, think about somebody who was born in 1998. Um, they'd be 21 now. Um, And they would have come of age right around the time that Google and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter were all coming online and gaining their their momentum. Okay, so they they have grown up in an era raising the ambiguity of morals, ethics and social values. Right. Uh, There is a sense of I got to get mine. There's a sense of algorithms. There's a sense of how do I beat the system? okay, to, to, to benefit me. All right. Uh, They've also come of age uh, during one of the greatest shifts in Christian faith. All right. We have a major shift going on right now. Um, And a large part of the post-civil rights generation says, you know, okay, I'm cool with God. I can get with that, but not the version of God that I've been given. I'm not with that. Right. Right. Um, this is a major shift and I think, you know, you see white evangelicals, well I should just say evangelicals in general because it's not just white, but it's evangelicals in general that are, you know, scrambling for, oh man, we got to do this, we got to do that. And they're still they're still trying to paint the pig, you know, a different color. When in fact, we it's still just the pig, it's the pig with lipstick. We've dressed it up, and we, you know, we're still trying to paint the pig, I mean the church, you know, in a certain way. And the next thing you know, you know, kids are leaving. Or young adults are leaving um, and I don't necessarily they believe they're coming back at least they're not coming back to what it was um, this is also a generation raised in post 9/11 America a generation that's seen laws passed for the benefit of national security when in reality it's you know it's benefiting other other folks who are getting their pockets lying you know war is big business war is money. <laughs> for for some people, of course. It's death and tyranny and oppression to others, to most, but it's but it's big money for other folks. You know, this is also generation raised on technology as normality and identity, y'all. Normality and identity. I this is just my daughter who was born in 06, right? This is her life. She's known nothing else. She's not known film cameras. She's not known uh, telephones that had cords on it. She's not known cellular plans that they were charging you for minutes. She's not known any of that. She has grown up in an era of the digital age where we are expanding rapidly and expanding in exponential ways that our minds can even keep up with. People are having the conversations of AI. People are having the conversations of genetically modifying babies. This is the era that she's growing up in. Now we're all here, right? But some of us still remember those other times, right? But this is also a generation raised on the McDonaldization hypothesis, right? Put out by George Ritzer. And uh, Ritzer talks about efficiency, calculability, control, and effectiveness as a social normality and ways of doing life. So efficiency, calculability, control, and effectiveness as a social normality and ways of doing life so you've got to understand that this now becomes the way we interpret most of western society think about how mcdonald's is done it's it's, it's efficient right you go to the drive-through window it's it's efficient it's calculable you can control it and it's effective Okay, because we know the taste. We know it. We know what it is. We can go to other countries and sure, they may have, they put a little cultural spin on it. But you, if you're going to have McDonald's on it, you're going to have to stick to what McDonald's has. The taste and the, and, and the way they put this food together, you're going to have to stick to that. Efficiency, calculability, control, and effectiveness as a social normality and ways of doing life. Think about how busy this generation is. Now, you, you know, and I would say the wealthier uh, this generation is, the more busier they are. Right, so living here uh, on the west side of Chicago, well, really Oak Park, uh, but right across the street is the Austin neighborhood from where I live. Um, so you we barely made it into Oak Park, and um, for those of you who know the area, you know it's 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 not a, it's not a necessarily a cheap place. The schools are good, um, and that's part of why we came over here, right? We were able to come over here and, and do that. But here's the thing: I don't have the money every single time. There's a break every time it's spring break or there's you know something like that going on. These these all of my Haley's little friends are out there traveling, right? Spring break, niggas is in Paris, niggas is out there in Miami, you know, Ontario, Central America. I'm like, what the literal hell? Son of a bitch! Like for real? I just, just go, just can we just play in the backyard? You know what I'm saying? Like Tupac said, it's like our vacations was down the street, uptown grandma house <laughs> you know what I'm saying um so it's just a trip right uh, but that's part of it right let's 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 make it efficient let's make it a calculable control it's effective you know there is there there's an algorithm to life and and a lot of the kids have figured that out um there's also a generation raised you know speaking of that with likes and follows that's that's what this generation is 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 you know is is is, is grown up with you know, who's following me, how many followers, and I get and I admit, I get caught up in that mess. Now, I'm not against social media. I have to use it for the purposes even of this podcast. You might be listening to this podcast for the first time because of some link somebody posted somewhere, you know, on the internet. Um, but now Right. We have folks who have, you know, begin to crack the code. I just saw an ad for somebody saying, um, you know, how to crack the Spotify code. If you're an artist, a musical artist, um, you know, you can crack the code and, you know, you can have you know, you can begin to to, uh, you know, get your get your money and get paid that way. Right. So it's part of it. Right. It's also a generation raised to organize and critically think. Um, uh, I am still always amazed that you know the amount of young folks who can organize and pull things together. You think about it, Black Lives Matter is a starfish concept. If you follow the uh the book The Spider and the Starfish, it is by Ori Broffman and rod Beckstrom called The Starfish and the Spider, the unstoppable power of leaderless organizations. If you haven't read that book, it's a very interesting read. Um the thesis is basically like we have lived in a spider world um for centuries, right? A, a one leader, singularized leadership uh, controlled by one person. you take that leader out and you have the whole organization or the uh, you know or that unit being taken out. this is the, this is the majority the concept of war, right? You take the leader out, you take the mothership out, right And that's it. But the starfish concept says you can take how many leaders you want, but we have individualized units. We are mobile. We are able to to mobilize and to create at the drop of a hat. Um, And, you know, we don't have to worry about, you know, if the leader's taken out, it's bad. But we have other leaders and we have the other units. I mean, this is the way essentially like Black Lives Matter operates. It is a starfish organization. Chicago Black Lives Matter is different than Cleveland Black Lives Matter, which is different than Miami Black Lives Matter, which is different than Los Angeles Black Lives Matter. This is essentially the way the uh, AA, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, or really any kind of addicts anonymous operates. It is successful because there is no centralized leadership. It is it is broken down into individual units. This is the way uh, we can look at even organizations and units like Al Qaeda. Take out Bin Laden. So. You know, he was old anyway, we got, we got 10 other folks over here doing that stuff. And so it's a fascinating concept, but that's where we're at right now, y'all. That's where we're at. And lastly, this generation is, is, has been raised to around systems that, and, and, and around systems that you cannot trust that that includes the church. And I believe. That this is what well, I don't believe. I know from my own research that uh, that's in the last three books that I put out over the last few years um, and a new one that I got coming out is talking about, you know, young people, young adults uh, in this era. They want a Jesus that is raw and unfiltered. They want the Jesus going into the church and putting a foot up somebody's ass. They want the Jesus talking shit to the Sinker and Ephesian woman, right? They want a Jesus over there, you know, talking about Caesar. You know, he takes that coin. You know, he never gives that coin back, <laughs> right? He's like, you know, give unto Caesar. You see this, the head of this coin. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, it goes on to say he never gives the coin back. They want the Jesus over there talking shit to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Saying the equivalent of the F word to them, pissing them off. That's the Jesus they want. Shit, that's the Jesus I want, <laughs> right? I don't want, you know, I don't want white Jesus. I don't want that, you know, that's a punk Jesus. That's Jesus gets smacked around. I don't want no smacked up Jesus. I don't want no smacked up God shit. I want a Jesus that can hang. And I truly believe that Nipsey was uh was after that as well, right? Um and 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 really connected with this generation. Um a lot of folks said he was picking up the mantle um on Tupac. And uh, I believe that in 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 certain regard and 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 in many regards he was trying to look at that um check out this interview that he did um you know just talking about spirituality faith the game all that good stuff um and then i'll come back and we'll wrap this thing up all right y'all
0: a lot of people don't understand given where you've come from which hmm. is from the hardest of the heart scrabble existence tough childhood out here with these gangbangers and so on yeah. but you've recreated yourself lyrically yes, you've sir. allowed the integrity of your art to stand for you. Tell us about how you took literacy so seriously that it could literally save your life. Um, words is powerful,
3: you know? And I think that um, the ability to articulate, you know, you could, you can, you could really impact people, mm. you know, with words. Obviously, you, you're, you're a clear case of that. Both of y'all, you know, being in, in as an author, as a, as a TV host, and just somebody that communicates for a living. So I just think that having an experience A human experience in LA and just in the streets and a real culture coming from gang culture Mm. and articulating that through music became inspiring to people that's in that life. Right, right. And even people outside of it, not to cut you off.
0: No no no, I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, no, that's it's an important point. But not only that, you're not only speaking through the words but one of the things I noticed when I met you is the beauty of the ink on your body, right? That's right. And, and it tells a story. I remember, yeah. you know, Tupac told a story. Yeah. LeBron has a story. Kobe has a story. Yep. What, what, what's, of all the tattoos that you have that you're tatted up, which one is the most significant, the most important, or the most meaningful to you? Um, I think it's, it's two of them. One of them
3: is on my face. It said, I don't know what side. I think yeah, it's this side. It said, it said, God will rise. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I was like 27, I was just riding around with one of my homegirls, and she asked me what my, what my name meant. My first name is Iramius, Mm-hmm. and it's an East African name. And so I was just like, you know, it's a it's a common name back home, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she Googled it, and she like, nah, your name means God will rise, mm-hmm. and that's a powerful name, you know. When I when I realized what that meant, and so um, thank y'all. So you know that that that's one that's really important to me. And then um. Just being young, growing up in LA, you know, I got into some legal trouble early and I was on probation since I was like 18. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having a record deal originally being in the music industry and I was on probation the whole time. I had to come home every month, check in. And so finally when I got off probation, I got this one that say free alas on my thumb, mm, you know? Right. So those are the ones that's kind of linked right. to stories, you know? Yeah. I have a right. question,
2: you really are, were about that life. A lot of people pretend to be
0: and you got out of that and you are a huge success. What would you say to people that are out there with similar backgrounds that want to make their dreams come true and stay in the course?
3: Um, I think as human beings, everybody has a natural gift and a natural passion. But then you go outside and you get influenced and you, and you feel pressure from, from what's going on outside. And so, you know, I read one time, like, would you rather be at war with yourself and at peace with the world? or at peace with yourself in at war with the world. Mm. And now it's powerful for me, you know what I'm saying? Right.
0: Yeah. Now, speak, speaking of which, Carter and I were talking uh, backstage, one of the things I love about you is that you bring a sense of authenticity. It's portable, it doesn't get stuck in one place. I remember a line from Jay says, I don't want to be in the project hallway talking about I'm in the projects all oh, day. Right? Yeah. That don't make sense to me. Yeah. Because when I was in the hood, now I don't happen to be a rapper right. of your magnitude and skill. I got amateur raps. I do some skill. You got bars, I got, you got I, bars. Don't downplay down uh, yourself, don't downplay yourself, know? I got a couple bars when they open and got yeah. some drinks. <laughs> yeah. but, but, I the like thing, bars. but the thing is, is that You represent such authenticity and power of that. What do you say to young people who get fixed on that as the ultimate be all and end all, as opposed to doing what you did, which is use it as a transformation into something different?
3: I think you said it. it's about just the the authenticity and the honesty. I'm not in, you know, a culture of going outside hustling every day no more. I'm not in a culture of, you know, being involved with gang activity anymore at that moment for me to make art, I had to reflect on reality, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that was, I would be, it would be untrue. Mm -hmm. I was talking about balling or talking about owning businesses, I didn't. Mm -hmm. But as my life changed and as the reality what I was actually living changed, Mm -hmm. I had to change what fueled the art, you know what I mean? And I think that's what keep it accessible to people. You got people that, not to cut you off again. No, no, no. You got people that been removed from from the streets for years and, and it's still, what's the dominant narrative in their music and we lose touch with it because it don't it don't have the same texture as when when it, when it was actually what they was
0: doing you know what i mean that's right yeah now you see why we had this man on this show how that is high intelligence
3: thank you
0: uh, i mean really man you you're one of the not only one of the greatest rappers but one of the greatest most thoughtful intellectuals in that art form and i celebrate you and embrace you for that as my brother you, bro. all right
2: so in hip hop culture you have to remember that uh, hip hop is well, there's a definition that I've worked on, you know, as it, as it pertains to uh, hip hop. It's an urban subculture that seeks to express a lifestyle, attitude, and or urban individuality. Hip hop at its core, not the commercialization and commodity it has become in certain respects. It rejects dominant forms of culture and society and seeks to increase a social consciousness along with a racial and ethnic pride. That's what I feel like Nipsey was trying to do, living out this this definition you of course, hip hop uses rap music, dance, music production, mc and an allegory to, to as as vehicles to send and fund this message of social, cultural, and political resistance to dominant structures of norms. This Is what I feel like, brother Hustle was trying to, uh, uh, you know, to live out. Um, it's not easy. I mean, it's it's I I can't imagine. You know, well, I have some imagination because I had to leave a, a an aspect of the street life or whatever I was never officially adopted into a gang I never got jumped in and whatnot I just had strong affiliations to folks and you know um switching from that lifestyle I like what Nipsey has to say about you know he's never really um you know he's not he's not out of the gang he's still he's not banging but it's just like man you you in it for life right um so that's, you know, that's that's a powerful thing. And so, I you know, I, I I can resonate with that. I mean, it's definitely aspects of that lifestyle that I still utilize today, right? My survival in the academy is very similar to survival on the street, right? You got to make a name for yourself. You got to go and, you know, pay homage to the OGs. You, you know, you got to watch out for people who are fakers. You got to watch out for them drive-bys. You know, with uh, you know, with cats who are trying to take you out, uh, either to be in uh, uh, some kind of session or or some kind of you know backstabbing way, and, and you know, in the academy, you got to keep your eye out for that man. There are folks there only to make you know make a name for themselves and could care less about the community. You know that's happens in the academy, and then you got to deal with all the nuances, right? Of being, you know, what does survival mean, right? You got to ha- kind of have a certain level of social paranoia. Um, that, uh, keeps you around. And that's, I know for me, that's been the case. I have had a, 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 a level of social paranoia that has kept me, that has kept me around in higher education. You know, you can't trust everybody. (laughs) You can't, you know, if, if you think somebody can take you out, uh, they will. Um, and so, uh, that's part of how I've survived in the, in, in higher education. Uh, but check out this interview here with uh, with Dipsy talking about just life, the gang coming out of it, all that stuff. I it, This is this is pretty fascinating here. But check check this one out.
3: I mean, you go through close calls and things where you you get kind of close to to feeling like you're going to throw your shit, to your stuff edge. away. Excuse me. Yeah. You Wait know what I mean? You get close. Oh, all right, well, yeah, I feel like you're gonna throw your shit away. You yeah, yeah, say you said shit, what do you mean? Yo, your, your freedom, you know, your life, right. your, your opportunity, you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, you come out them situations somehow and be like, well, I don't like how that felt. You know, when you looking at it, when you, when you got your feet on in, the, in them shoes, mm-hmm. it's different than being aware of what could happen and being in a situation where it's happening. You know what I mean? Like, you in jail, you, you, you ain't got no bail. Not that you don't got the bail money, you just don't got bail because of your case. And right. if it you, if you don't beat thing, your case, bail, right. you about to go on that long road. Mm-hmm. And then you end up beating it, you know what I mean? Or you be in tight situations where everybody you was around end up uh, washed up or, mm-hmm. you know, dead. You know what I mean? Seeing death up close, people you was just with, you know what I mean? Places you just was on your way to. And, you know, reality kick in after a while. And you gonna you gonna lay in the bed you make. So I knew that that that, that wasn't what I wanted as far as a uh, final destination. Right. So I just started taking steps toward what I what I was passionate about, which was the music. Right. And then doors start opening. I start seeing the results of them steps. And I just followed the you know, the, the positivity. That's yeah, ad- you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, no, I feel Yeah. It's not an easy thing, though. Not, to, not, to, to no, be wrong with. It. It. No, it's not. No, it's not. not. No, That's sure. why a lot of gang members stay in the game because yeah. it's, it, they don't they don't know which a direction to go. And you know, fortunately, you have music mm-hmm. in, in the entertainment industry, but it's hard. And a lot of times you're met you're met with resistance. All the time. Was it's it? The were they? Gravity. Did they try to keep you like, yo, my nigga, you ain't
0: going, and you're not leaving here?
3: I it was never that convo but you feel the, the the like you said the Animosity resistance maybe i mean just like the you know gang culture gang gang banging is stingy right. so you know what i mean if you ain't on the block every day if something take place and you not there it become like Why well, I wasn't you there you, yeah you watered down now or you know uh, you ain't you, you ain't you ain't on the front line no more right. what you doing mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it become like well, I didn't think it was, of a family man or that nigga, you know, that nigga rapper. Yeah, jogging. yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah that nigga squared up. And nobody gonna tell you that mm. if you got you a little a bit of respect. That? Nobody gonna say that to your face, but you gonna start to feel, you know, the, the, the people judging what you're doing. Almost resentment mm. a
2: little bit, right, bro? 100%, yeah.
3: you know yeah. what I mean? And just like, you know what they say, crabs in the bucket. Oh, yeah, for sure. But at the same oh, time, um, you know, I think people don't really young people that's, identify with themselves as gang members when you when you when you look at out yourself outside of the gang you ain't really got no other title no other identity yeah. so you gotta you gotta that's that's the hard part too you know like you so-and-so from this gang it's like you're recreating yourself you got to but yeah. that's not an easy thing too because the too, gang you got all type of support and tradition behind that right like your brothers those are your brothers right? and just the the years and years it is going on you were part of something Right. That been established right. and so that been respected. Right. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. So outside of that, it's just like you just a solo man on a mission, with, and you gotta, you know, you gotta redefine everything, and mm-hmm. that's that's the hard part too. Yeah, and and since you've been out, I will commend you because you didn't just get out and just say I'm out and I'm good. Can you explain what Vector ninety is to us? Because you you go back and that you're trying to help out in your, com- your your own community. Well, yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm out of of my community. I never was. Out, you not know
1: be I mean, out of the gang.
3: Yeah, I'm not out the gang. You know oh, what I'm saying? Real? Nah, you don't get out of a gang. Truthfully, you just you, you redirect your energy. You know what I'm saying? So, wow. I'm not a gang banger. But you're still rolling sixties. Yeah, that ain't nothing you gonna ever put down because if you ever put it down, you never was a part of it. For you never real. yeah. was really down. Yeah, that. that ain't that ain't how it worked. You don't just hang up your rag and say I'm not I'm not from this community no more. But at the same time, you know demonstrations speak louder than conversation. Mm-hmm. So I ain't in cars going on missions no more. I ain't, I ain't in the spot. You know what I mean. I'm. I'm on a radio run, dropping my album, you mm-hmm, know what I mean. Videos, building, building businesses, back, employing my, employing my homeboys, you know what I mean, and paying taxes. Yeah, you know ain't I mean? yeah. <laughs> yeah. so, using uh, that,
2: it uh, yeah. <laughs> Nip,
1: like, what's it like pay. paying.
3: <laughs> paying taxes, Nip? Oh man. <laughs> I wanted to say
1: like speaking Listen, on your uh, like that's community. That's a hard lesson. Ah! Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's good? funny you no, know, my
3: bad. It's like yeah, I had to get used to paying taxes.
1: Um, speaking on your like community and like your upgrading, your upbringing. You're a uh, Habesha, right? You're Eritrean. Eritrean, my Aretrian. dad is from Eritrea. Yeah. So has that played any part in like I guess your progression as I mean not even just as a heart, as just as a human and coming from LA and now you know what I'm saying, like you're seeing the world mm-hmm. and getting all these perceptions of what's going on and like absorbing everything. Has has any part of you being Eritrean like affected you any like any 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 part of you? You know. Of course. Not to sound silly, but what is that?
3: It's a country in Africa.
1: Yeah. It's, oh, okay. it's where my
3: dad grew up at. It's in East Africa.
1: And What Yo. is it? Say it. Eritrea. Oh I dated yeah. a guy
3: that was Eritrean
1: once. Yeah. You been there?
3: Yeah, for, for sure. sure. I've been. I, I went out there for three months um, in two thousand three, and uh, you know met my granny for the first time, met my cousins. That's cool. Yeah. So it definitely had a, a, a major impact. I was raised in L.A. by my mom. You know, my mom's family black American. Yeah. But when I, I always knew my my my. Heritage from my dad, Yeah, but I never met my family. My dad was the only one in America. Everybody else is back home. So when I went out there, it uh, it educated me to the other side. It opened your eyes, bro. A hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? it just gave me an understanding of what my dad' life was like growing up. And you know what I mean, what his family was like. And I got embraced, and they loved me. You know what I mean? And I just was like, you know, became aware of. The, the culture that, I'm, I'm half American, half region. so I'm yeah. equally, you know what I mean, as much as I am a black person from America, I'm a black person from Africa okay. too, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I embraced both <laughs> sides of that after I went out there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
3: that's
2: what I'm talking about, <laughs> man. Well, folks, um, I hope you enjoyed this uh, this episode here. I know this was the combination of talk, you know, with Nipsey talking. Although I wish I could have had him in the studio at some point here to interview him. But uh, and also me just kind of giving some commentary. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes at WhiteOgePodcast.com. So if you're interested in more of Nipsey and some of the extended interviews that he's given, um, I recommend, you know, going and checking those out. And the reason I play his interviews, One, because I don't have the copyrights or any kind of permission to play his music at length uh, on this show. But more importantly, uh, I think the scholarship that is doing and being done in hip hop studies right now moves well beyond just looking at lyrics and just looking at songs. Uh, It that's something that we were really doing in the field 11, 12 years ago. Uh, you can even read my, you know, one of my my first books, you know, uh, Heaven Has a Ghetto uh, and the Soul of Hip Hop, uh, and both of those, you know, I'm using lyric lyric analysis, lyrical analysis extensively in there. But as I've developed, and as the field has developed. It, there are many more outlets that artists communicate through uh one of which uh is our interviews that they give and they give much greater detail about their music and about their background and about who they are uh than their music ever could uh this is part of what's called a musicological approach john michael spencer created this woo, back in the day 30 years ago um And it's something that it's a practice that I've utilized uh, and tried to embody in my own research, because, again, it pushes past just what the lyrics say, because the lyrics could be just one thing. It could be somebody saying it. And we what we don't want to do is impose our thought process, our own thought process on something an artist meant for different. Does that make sense? So that for me, interviews, um, and of course there's art, there's cover art, there's um, there's all kinds of other things that you can pick out of that. Uh, it's a whole process, and I won't bore you with the process. If you're interested in uh, hip-hop's hostile gospel, I explain the whole damn thing in there, in that book. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I I believe that there's much more within interviews. you know. And yes, the artist's music is important. Yes, what they put out uh, is important, and we have to examine that as well. But it's one component in a component of many. Well, folks, WhitehotchPodcast.com. Check it out. If you haven't ever listened to who Nipsey Hussle is, there is Spotify. (laughs) Type his name in. It's all kind of good stuff there. And um, I will catch y'all next week. All right, y'all. Peace.